coming across a lot of IDs, getting shot at and rocketed daily. Um, we'd lost guys, we'd had limbs blown off others. Welcome to Conflict Chronicles, a show where battlefield stories are told. Share in the physical and mental experiences from those who have been on the front line of conflict. I am your host, Neil. This show may contain adult language and strong themes from conflict zones. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome. Today we are joined by Tim Thomas, a former Australian Army Special Forces Commando. Tim's background is all about strength and courage. He's worked in remote cattle properties in Australia. He's been a mixed martial arts fighter. But in 2002, Tim saw, like so many others, the Bali bombings occur in Indonesia, killing 88 innocent Australians. Tim felt it was his duty to serve his country And in 2004, Tim jumped at the opportunity to join a direct entry program into the Australian Army Special Forces Commandos. Having served his country in Afghanistan and in East Timor, Tim ultimately departed the Army in 2010. Since then, he's committed himself to working in the veteran recovery field. A public speaker, a published author, Tim is known as Commando in Your Corner, and has committed himself to helping others at every step of the way. Today, Tim is sharing his experience and his memories of a time on a particular patrol in Afghanistan in 2009, a patrol that was ambushed by rocket-propelled grenades with his own vehicle cut off from others. Tim's going to share what got him through those events and what has helped him onwards from that time. Welcome, Tim. Take us back to those events in 2009 in Afghanistan. Sure. Um, I was a part of Australian Special Forces Commandos, Bravo Company. Uh, Now, we can conduct uh, missions outside the wire uh, for much longer than most any other Special Forces. We'd been outside the wire about two weeks, which is uh, quite a long time, Um, coming across a lot of IDs, getting shot at and rocketed daily. We'd lost guys, we'd had limbs blown off others. Uh, And this one particular night was unique in the way that uh, we had forewarning that we were going into an ambush. Um, And people think, oh, there's an ambush, just go the other way. It doesn't work like that in Afghanistan. You're you're, uh, subject to the terrain and, uh, you know, the fighters there know that and that's how they've successfully defended their land and been a, uh, almost impossible to beat on their home turf. Um, so we were heading into this uh, known ambush um, and... How did you feel about that, knowing well, you were going into something that what, was like going said, to happen? It was unique. It was only unique in the way that we knew it was about to happen and... Uh, they the orders came down to put all the heavily armored vehicles, the Bushmasters. Um, they could take the RPG hit, no worries. So, what's a Bushmaster? Just- yeah, Bushmaster is an armored um, Australian personnel sort of carrier. Um, it 
it's got a, a very unique V-shaped hull. I've seen a lot of them run over IEDs and they they protect everyone inside very well. Um, so that's improvised explosive yeah, sorry, device. Yeah, improvised, yeah. like a, some, you might call it a booby trap, like a bomb that's just okay. sitting there to be triggered either remotely or pressure plate. Um, uh, so... Uh, yeah, so Bushmaster, good bit of kit, but most um, special forces just travelled in a, um, it's like a four-wheel drive with a roof cut off and some machine guns in place. Um, if you've been to the Australian War Memorial, they've got one there. Uh, and um, that's what we were in, Light, what's called a light-skinned vehicle, very, very minimal um, protection. And um, now tactically... That was a tactical move, putting the Bushmasters, the armoured personnel carriers to the rear because it's the rear of the uh, convoy that usually gets attacked because it's least defended um, and uh, so why not have the armoured armored one there to take the hit. Now, in the confusion, um, well, in the rush to get everything ready to to go off, uh, we got cut off, this Bushmaster cut in front of us and then we were then the rear vehicle and you could have cut the air with a knife when that happened because everyone in that vehicle knew down to their core what that meant. You said it was at night time. Oh, yeah. So so we're driving with lights on. Was oh, it, no, no, no. no. This, is all, this is all with your NVGs, night vision goggles. Right, okay. Um, you know, infrared, you know, lights. So, you know, you are moving as tactically as possible. Um, and on this occasion... Uh, yeah, we had our asses hanging out. Wow. And, and, and so you knew this was going to occur. And that's and- why the preemptive measures were put in place. And that's why when it happened and then we were the rear vehicle, all the blokes were like, fuck. So inside that vehicle, describe how that feeling was where they'd all gone, uh, vehicles cut in front of us. How, how did everybody feel there? What was the atmosphere like? Well, I discovered something about myself that night, and that was just how freaking angry I could get. Um, I was absolutely furious. Um, you know, I, I'd done quite a few ramp ceremonies for fallen brothers, where you carry the you know the, the lost soul, the, the the fallen soldier on your shoulders uh, down the ramp of the airplane back in Australia with the Australian flag covering it. And now picture this scene: you've got all the ceremony there, everyone's standing to attention, and you've got the weeping widow with kids to one side. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing my body getting carried down this ramp, all because this motherfucker cut me off. And, and that's and you're thinking of that as you're driving out there. That's going through your mind. Were you talking to any of your colleagues? At well, the time? there were there was small conversation um, in that event. Uh, my vehicle commander, for the sake of calling him a name, let's call him Al, um, looked back at us and said, "Fellas, if this goes the way I think it will." It's been an honour serving with you. Wow, that's, that must have really um, heightened the senses. Well, in many ways because you, when, you're, when you're in that moment so deep, you, you start noticing a lot of subtleties as well, like, man, here I am in this very foreign-looking land in the middle of, you know, the darkest part of the night and I'm, I'm hearing this, you know, dinky-die-true-blue Aussie accent speaking to me, you know. Um, 
And I knew if I survived it, I'd, I'd be remembering this for the rest of my life. <laughs> so were you able to focus on the job in hand and you were talking about how you were imagining how things could play out? Did that give you extra focus and say, no, I will survive through this experience or uh, were you distracted by those well, thoughts? The, the emotions were quite effectively, my own anger was choking out my intelligence, okay? Um, and uh, I was starting to, to shut down because of my own rage because um, I'm, I'm looking at the vision of me carrying down the ramp, my wife and kids, you know, to one side crying. And, you know, if you've ever been pissed off that you got cut off in traffic, you know, times that by about a million, that's what I was feeling. And I felt quite justified feeling that in that moment, but that wasn't serving me. Um, and my mind then did something after my, my mind did something. And it, in that extreme experience, it sort of showed me how the, how the mind works. So I'm, I'm quite grateful for my time over there. So I'm, I'm very happy to share this stuff that, that I discovered. So hopefully, you know, this will save you a trip over there to, to learn these things. Um, my mind then did something that changed everything. And it asked this simple question. Yes, I'm in the shit right now, but who do you know has done this before? Who do you know that has navigated this circumstance and gotten through it? And I'm like, I don't know anyone. Wow. I really don't. And, and I felt so alone at that moment, totally disconnected from everything. My team, I was just this dude in the pitch black of Afghanistan, a long way from home. And at this point, was, were the things happening? Were people firing at you at this point? No, no, no. This is this, this is, is pre. Well, this, this is when the bullets start flying, and it wasn't uncommon, that sort of takes care of itself. I know that sounds strange, but you just switch in, boom, you do your thing. But it's the, it's like the, the, the fear of fear is worse than fear itself. You know what I mean? Fear of event is the worst thing that could happen. So this was a unique scenario, Neil. Um, all this stuff was going on beforehand in anticipation of an event. Uh, and so I actually had a had had an ability to tap into something inside of me as opposed to going, no, nah, I just have to put bullets back. Would, and to that point, would you have seen yourself as quite a spiritual person where you, you, you tap inside? Or was this something that was really new, this feeling that it was occurring pre the, the situation? Was that something new you'd never had before? Well, I, I mean, I, I consider myself a spiritual person. You know, I'm a Christian, read the Bible every day. But in that moment, I didn't think of God. Here's the thing. I didn't think of God. I just said, who, who do I know that has done this before? And I didn't know anyone. Okay. But then I'm like, well, that's just now. What about, what about in the past? I started looking outside my timeline and then it hit me. I'm like, holy shit, the Anzacs. The Anzacs. So this is the Australian New Zealand Army Corps. Yes. This yeah. is what we know and, and from history. Wow. So you, you were able to draw straight on that. Yeah, the, 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 beach, the beach landing at Gallipoli because what did they do? They, they knew they were going into a place where they had an entrenched enemy that knew they were coming. And what did those Anzacs do? They kept moving forward. They kept moving forward. That simple 
thing of moving forward, you know, regardless of who's waiting for them, regardless of what, you know, could have happened, you know, the outside world couldn't stop them from seeing the power they had inside of them. And and was that um, because obviously growing up in Australia, the history, the understanding, your own research, but was that sort of deeply comforting or was that like a shared understanding? Did it bring you comfort or did it bring you sort of encouragement? I, I've got to go forward and I will survive. Uh, I, I talk about it like this, Neil. Um, pain, emotional duress, physical duress, it gets to a certain point where it stops just being pain. So I was in extreme emotional duress. I wasn't in any physical pain, nothing has gone wrong yet, um, but that created a disconnect. I started feeling pain transforms into loneliness. And when we're alone, disconnected, that's a very, that's no one's made for that. We're, main, we're meant to be connected, interconnected to the, to the wholeness of people around us, the herd, you know. Um, and in that moment, I was disconnected. And so what the Anzacs did for me in that very dark night was make me feel like I was not alone. And I kid you not, those Anzacs, they were dead 100 plus years. Oh, sorry, they were, the event was over 100 years ago, but they were alive and with me in that moment. It was, and, and it was like the sun coming up at midnight. My whole body felt illuminated because they managed to break that isolation I found myself in. That's a very spiritual and really quite an impressive way to face things. And I've never heard anybody articulate that level of comfort and be able to draw on history so well. When the bullets started flying, you talked about it's quite mechanical. You you kind of get on with it. Um, so the firefight, the incident actually occurred. What happened in the detail um, of there? What what happened? Did everybody come out of that okay? Well, look, everyone, everyone survived. Um, but what I get out of that experience, um, wasn't so much the, the, what, you know, the bullets or the bombs. I didn't get bullets or bombs out of Afghanistan. What I got was experiences before that, because what breaking that isolation did for me through those acts of the Anzacs, it did two things. Um, one of which allowed me to, their courage allowed me to act fearlessly. Um, and then everything changed because, because my isolation was broken. It was like my intelligence turned back on. Um, I started thinking, okay, what do I see right now? We're going about, you know, 15, 20 kilometers an hour. Um, the RPGs, uh, have a range of, you know, they, they explode on their own at 1500 meters. So they're probably going to, so, so this is rocket propelled yeah, grenades. Rocket so there's the ones grenades. you see on yeah, the just, shoulder. Yep. Yeah, yeah, shoulder yeah. crack where you go. Uh, and, um, so they, they self explode at 1500 meters. So they're probably going to start shooting at, um, one to 1.2 kilometers away. And I sort of triangulated it and the distance. And I figured we're, we're going to be in the kill zone, um, you know, for between five and 10 minutes. All right. Or the kill box, I should say, when you're in that area where they, that's when you set up an ambush, you set up a kill box and we're about to go into this kill box. Uh, and I thought, well, at that moment, I thought, well, what else do I know? And I literally saw my own circulatory system 
jump out in front of me and I saw my heart pumping blood to my limbs and back up to my brain. And I said, to survive this, all I need to do is maintain circulation between my heart and my brain. I saw that connection and I thought I can lose lose a limb, no problem. I'll just hose clamp it off with a tourniquet, you know. So I got uh, two tourniquets and I put it on my chest. And I got my med kit ready uh, and obviously had to be ready to do that because I was on the on the 50 cal machine gun. So I'm the guy that's putting rounds back to where they should be. So it's really up to me to protect that vehicle. Um, but I also need to be ready to look after my mates. Now, I knew that I could sustain a like a loss of a limb and, uh, you know, even if I bleed out, I'll be able to survive. My body was fit and healthy. So even if I bleed out, I could survive that five or 10 minutes and then my mates would revive me with a blood substitute. Now, um, that's when all the training kicks in. Now, we've all done that trust exercise where you close your eyes, fall backwards and let someone catch you. You know, imagine allowing yourself to fall into death, you know, and your mates are going to pull you back from the gates of Hades, you know, um, they, and, and that trust was a result of the initial, um, breaking of that isolation that the Anzacs did. Um, and what that taught me and what I want to share with everyone listening is that what I've, what I've really discovered from Afghanistan the value we offer to others isn't so much what we do, it's what we've come through. Now, everyone listening today has had to come through certain things. You can't be a human without come over, having to endure, overcome certain things. And you could still be struggling with certain things. But the thing is, if you can find a way forward for you, you are going to be able to find a way forward for many others and often in far less time, the thing that took you a month, a year, a decade, you are going to be able to often help others sometimes in one conversation. And like I said, these Anzacs, they were, they were, that was 100 years ago, but in 2009, their actions reached forward and empowered me. And I thought, you know, is this what immortality looks like, Neil? You, you, um, I heard you on another interview. You were talking about that when you got back to the base, you were there eating ice cream. Oh, yeah, And yeah. you found that a, a really surreal experience because you knew that the Anzacs didn't have ice cream. Yeah. Uh, far from it and, and, and from what we know. And, and so how did you then process that really deeply spiritual preparation and enormous firefight sharing an extreme event with your friends. And then all of a sudden you're back in, um, inside a comfort zone eating and you're ice cream. eating yeah, ice cream. How did you, how did you deal with that? It's, it's so surreal. And, and I didn't consider myself a veteran until one of my mates made a joke about being a cranky old veteran. Uh, and I'm like, oh, geez, yeah, we are veterans now, you know. Um, so, so I just didn't think too much of myself um, in that in that way. That, um, but but then I had to be careful too because you know, plenty of my mates went home in boxes, you know. So we're we're still serving. There's still risk. Um, I guess it's just that that maybe self-flagellation um, that um, that possibly is needed to a point to keep you sort of sharp. 
So from moving from that experience, did you spend a lot of time reflecting whilst you were still there on that one experience or was it not until you actually came back that you really started to play those events and process them? Because you were, you were talking about the need to talk about the events. Oh yeah. yeah. So, so how did you deal with that one instance between, you know, then uh, and when you actually got back to mainland Australia? Well, the fact that we're all doing it, you know, like if everyone's going a thousand Ks an hour, you can't, you don't, you don't, you see that as normal. You know what I mean? It's not until you go into an environment when, where everything around you isn't going a thousand Ks an hour, then it becomes obvious. You know what I mean? So stuff that was, it was, let's just say an unusual level of normal in Afghanistan. And everyone just got used to that fact that that's just what you do. That's what we do. We turn up, someone could die, but that's just what we do, you know? Um, and so that creates a certain amount of energy inside of a person. So when you say go back to Civilian Street and, you know, your wife brings you to a social function and you're just talking like you normally talk, you end up never getting invited back because you just, you carry yourself in a very different way and you talk a very different way. You think it's normal, but you, you, you find that you're in your own country and people are looking at you like you're some alien that landed. And they're trying to figure you out. Uh, you've done an enormous amount to help others um, since you've got back. And, and just picking up on that point, is that very much based upon the fact of you wanted to help others or is that you wanted to help them translate that experience? What's really driven you to be that ambassador and, and help others in that space? I guess... Once you realize the formula I mentioned earlier about pain's ultimate goal is to create isolation, okay, to make you feel like you're alone. Um, and the first thing that needs to happen before you start pouring resources into somebody is you've got to break that isolation. They have to know that someone else uh, – has walked that path and gotten through it. Okay. I don't believe in helping people. I don't even like using that word, but I tell people, look, I'm not going to be, I might not be able to help you, but I can give you options. So I can A, show you it's possible and B, give you options um, that you possibly haven't thought of before. And, and do you think that's um, in terms of conflict? So you talked about drawing on the Anzacs. Do you think there could be more in helping people prepare for high intensity conflict? in the future by having those reference points. So telling your story, helping people that are yet to go through those experiences so they can draw on that. Do you, do you think that cycle of events is going to be really important in the future as we face different conflicts? It's funny. In a lot of the, the men's groups I've run, the conversations that the Vietnam veterans are saying and the things that they faced were pretty much exactly the same things uh, to a, to a degree that the, you know, people, you know, getting out of Afghanistan have faced it's, and what, what I've kind of found for myself is it's not so much the trauma that you see the bullets or the bombs. Okay. It's that, um, sense of connection you've got 
with the mate next to you. Okay, that enables you to endure all that. Okay, but then when you leave, you know, the armed forces and that superpower you had that helped you overcome everything gets severed. Um, And on civilian street, it's very much every man for himself. Uh, And I've seen a lot of guys come unstuck where they've shown loyalty and then they've just had that uh, misused, you know, so that create, that challenges a lot of assumptions that they have of, well, geez, I got through these things because of mateship and now I, I showed loyalty and I've had that abuse. What the hell do I do? You know what? Screw the world. I'm just, I am now um, dropping off the planet. I'll save up some coin, drop off the map. And in my isolation, I can self-justify everything. And that happens quite a bit. And, and so those um, people you were with on that night in 2005, uh, 2009, do you keep in close contact with that group? Is that still a really big support group for you? No, no, we, we pretty much went our own ways. I mean, a few little, you know, you know, hey, good days, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, uh, you know, especially the unit we were in, it was very high tempo. So you'd come back from one, you'd train for another, blah, 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 blah. Um, so, you know, obviously they're, you know, they're, they're mates, but, you know, they're all the way down in Sydney and I'm in, up in Queensland. Are they still serving? Um. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, and I'm just guarded right now because you you don't give away. You, you, it's one of those things you don't talk about your mates if they're serving or not because it's classified and blah blah blah. But um, I believe they are, and um, you know we're still good mates. But it's it. I didn't. We 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 didn't stay in sort of regular contact. My my sort of veteran circles was when I uh, first started working at Mates for Mates. I think in. 2014. And so Mates and Mates, that's an Australian-based yep. charity. And and so tell us a little bit about that, Mates for Mates. What's- sure. It's for uh, current and ex-serving uh, defence members who have injuries due to their service. And not just the member, it's for their family also. Because many times a member themselves say, I'm all right, I'm all right. Well, then you ask, then, then it's sort of, it's a bit of a funny question. Okay, so you're all right. Does, does your wife say you're okay? And he'll go, no, <laughs> no. So, I mean, I'm laughing right now because it's, it's true, but um, the uh, mates mates supports the family of the member and whether they get help or not, they get, they get vicariously helped when that family is helped uh, through a range of different services. You know, they've got, you know, gyms, psychologists, counsellors, um, remedial activities. Um, you know, I, created a few really good um, uh, activities for veterans that were targeted at, you know, physical and mental, you know, relief of their you know, ailments. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it was a good time. And I finished working there maybe 2018, you know, because um, uh, I was, I was, and, and it's funny, it's not funny, but I'll just sort of explain. I found it, an incredible opiate, um, helping others, you know, cause I, I had shit I had to, de- had to deal with, wasn't dealing with maybe and helping others felt so bloody good, you know, and, and it sort of act like an analgesic to my own problems, you know, you know, one or two guys a week would come up and say, do you remember that conversation we had? I'm like, 
nah, <laughs> you know, saying yes, but, but no, you know, I yeah. said, yeah, okay, I, I did, but I didn't, right? Um, and they said, well, that stopped me committing suicide. Wow, that is you know? very powerful. And, and like just one or two a week. Now, that might sort of hit you in the feels and, and feel good, but let me just pull you through the looking glass on it. What it did to me was almost make me hypervigilant because what happened if I missed that phone call? What happened if I didn't reply to that text? You know, what happened if I didn't pick my phone up at three in the morning when some guy's saying he's going to neck himself? You know, um, so it, it, I don't regret the good work I did, but it came at a cost and because I wasn't trained, it didn't mean I wasn't effective at what I did, but it did mean I didn't know how to sort of protect myself in that environment. So you've written a book. Yes. Right? You, you've got your own organisation, Commando in Your Corner. Talk to us about that, um, where you are now, and, and tell us about your book and tell us okay, about what well, you're doing. Well, I finished up at Mates for Mates because, again, I was dealing with my own shit and probably not properly, and I, I didn't want to be one of those vets for that just flip the table and knock the boss out. You know, um, no one's fault. That's, that's mine. But I, 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 I refuse to be a cliche. You know, um, I'm a very heart-driven guy. If, if people aren't focused on that veteran coming through the door 100%, if you've got any agendas of your own, get the fuck out of here. You know, um, our eyes should be firmly fixed on them. And, and if we do that, three guys can do the work of 30. So don't worry about all this extra crap you need. You don't need that. You need focus on their needs. And then all of a sudden, three become one, one becomes a thousand. Um, and I saw that dil- dilating, t- to be honest, in Mates for Mates when it was started with really nothing. And then we started some really good programs of good culture. And then numbers started coming in. And then it just, seems to become like a template now. Um, and that's not to say they can't do some good to some people and maybe I'm carrying a bit of resentment myself. So I've got I to get, get myself complete on that. But um, I am very, because um, I've got skin in the game, very emotionally charged when it comes to when, when someone comes in and they're in a position of weakness, um, you do not take advantage of them. You know what I mean? Um, and what I found in my own recovery journey, Neil, was that not all healers are born equal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because I've got that really good, you know, piece of paper on the wall saying they've studied for so long doesn't mean they can heal people. And, and so commando in your corner, is that about taking your learnings and experiences and, and bringing that focus? Is, is that um, taking individuals forward? Um, Commando in the Corner is uh, my business. Um, if I'm doing public speaking, you know, making videos, um, the conversations that I had with veterans, I've made a series of videos called The Secrets of Pain. It's on my YouTube channel, Commando in Your Corner, parts one, two, and three. So if there's any veteran that's hurting, that's my first aid kit. So instead of having the conversation a thousand times over, because I'm just one guy, how do I, how do I enable that really precious information to be disseminated when I'm even sleeping? So I'd, I'd give, I'd, I'd just send it to people or I'd give it to say a, a veterans uh, delegate that works with a lot. So that becomes their, 
you know, copy and paste, away you go. Um, I ran a men's group, uh, the Demilitarized Men's Zone, uh, for a few years there, um, and, and that was quite successful. Um, but again, just one man. I I didn't have the I've I've closed that last year during COVID because it was just sort of falling over on its own anyway. Um, so the book I started writing after I finished it, mates for mates. So instead of helping people, veterans at mates for mates, I started writing and it's a funny thing for me, Neil, because I'm dyslexic, right? I really struggle to read. Um, and then to write this stuff down probably took me six times longer than usual. That said, I've written this book specifically for people who struggle to read. So it's, it's big print and it's written in such a way that it's the content is rich, but it's a very easy read. Um, Excuse me. So we've got a copy of that here on the desk. And and what strikes me most about it is this, um, you know, Commando in your corner presents uh, fight, flight and feel, and there's this big heart Mm. there. And I'm getting a sense the heart is more about what you're trying to give and, and the heart that you're putting into stuff because I can see and hear sort of the pride as you are actually passing that journey along. Um, so where can people get this book? Well, it's available on all platforms. Um, you know, Amazon, if you, if you Google fight, flight, feel, um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you, um, some links for your listeners to click on. They can get, you know, the first, um, first chapter sample audio or written, um, uh, or you can get that just going into my website, um, yourcommando.com. And, um, I really just have, I just wanted to position this information so it can be as easily uptaken as possible. Um, because it, it's not something I've invented. I discovered this and if I've discovered something, then I can just point it out to others. And if I can point something out to you and that thing is really real, it's going to be real whether I'm here or not. You know what I mean? Then you've now you've now discovered it for yourself and then you've got your own uh, using that as a reference point. You're not saying, Oh, I'm only doing it because so-and-so said it. No, I've discovered this for myself. So I just sort of, I've just discovered some really sort of amazing things that were highly effective. And I try to put it down in a way where other people can pick it up as easy as possible. So take your mind back to when you were working on a cattle station in the Northern Territory. Mm -hmm. What would you tell that young guy now? based on what you know of all the challenges and all the things that you've been through, what would you be telling? You sat on a fence and there you are, a young 20-something, uh, rustling cattle. What would you be telling you then? Hmm. <laughs> Buy Bitcoin shares. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you, can't, it, it can't be anything yeah. like that to make a financial investment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good no, answer. Mate, uh, no, and I'm being flippant, obviously, um, and, and, it's a hel- and I'm deflecting because it's a, it's a good, bloody good question, Neil. Um, it's not your first rodeo, I can see that. Um, well, I would probably tell that guy to... Spend a bit more time 
getting yourself sorted out instead of worrying about things outside of you. Um, Cause it, it all comes down to you and what you do and how you interact. If you have an external focus on things and then they get bigger and bigger as you get smaller and smaller. And that, you know, 18, 20 year old, he was the toughest guy I know, but he felt so small, you know, and I think because he felt so small that he tried to play, you know, a bigger game, which, you know, wasn't, didn't have any integrity. And I think people saw through pretty quickly. So, um, you know, I would just say, spend some time in yourself, be your authentic self and, and just vibe with it because your instincts have got you, your instincts you can trust. Tim Thomas, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been wonderful and really inspiring. So thank you. No, thank you, Neil. Thank you for joining us on Conflict Chronicles. You can stay in touch with us by joining us on Facebook and subscribing to this show from wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a story to be told or you know of a story that should be told, please contact us through our website at the My Story page, conflictchronicles.com.